Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to welcome you to yet another episode of the Unpopular Podcast. It's your boy, Jalen. And I know, if you don't follow me on social media, you're probably thinking to yourself, first of all, if you don't follow me on social media, why do you not follow me on social media? Like, come on, bro. My IG is, I'm saying though, I-M-S-A-Y-I-N-T-H-O-U. My Twitter is, yes, I'm from D.C., and Facebook is, I mean, I guess it's just Jalen Hunter. I don't know. But for people that don't follow me on social media, and you're probably thinking, and that do listen to the podcast, first of all, thank you. But you're probably thinking to yourself, dog, where's the episode? I, I usually drop on Mondays at 9 o'clock. Yes, yes. However, that 9 o'clock slot was kind of heavy yesterday with the national championship. Look, I understand that the national championship is in the Midwest. was in the Midwest this year. I don't remember where it is, but I know it was in the Midwest. However... Why did it start on the East Coast at 9.20 at night? Like it, <laughs> That's one thing that the, 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 the women's, nas- the women's uh, national championship did right. That don't start at 5. Yes, I don't expect the national championship to start at 5 o'clock for men's on a Monday. But because I joined at 7, like, come on, dog. But I digress. Again, this is the national. This is the national. <laughs> this is the unpopular podcast. And I thank you guys for listening. You know, so the national championship, both national championships, was Sunday and yesterday. And watching both of them really showed me something. Is that, and it showed me that there are levels to this when it comes to basketball. There are players that are great. There are players that are good. There are players that are okay. They're decent. And their players are just trash. You look at teams like Duke. Or you look at teams like Marquette. You look at teams like Murray State. They have a great player. Some of them have, like like Duke. Duke has great players. You have Zion Williamson. You have R.J. Barrett. You have Cam Reddish. Those are great players. Murray State, you have John Morant. Great player. Marquette, you have Marcus Marcus Howard. Great player. Great scorer. Then you have teams that don't have a great player but have really good, good players. And a team full of good players. Michigan State. Virginia. Texas Tech. Auburn. For people that didn't watch, Virginia beat Texas Tech 85 to 77 yesterday for the national championship. And when you look at their team, when you look at both teams, I'm sorry, when you look at both teams, both teams are stacked, but not in the way that you would think. Not one player on Virginia or Texas Tech is even close to being as good as Zion Williamson is, or as as good as R.J. Barrett is, 
or as good as John Moran is. Yes, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia will be going to the draft, and he's probably going top 10. But he's not really a great player. He's a solid player for the NBA. He's not like a Zion Williamson who can change a franchise, who will probably change a franchise. He's not, and this is DeAndre Hunter, he's not a player like John Moran who just jumps off the screen. He's not a player like R.J. Barrett who can control the offense. DeAndre Hunter is a good player, a really good player. Look at Jared, Jared Culver, Culver, I don't, I don't know how to say his last name, from Texas Tech. His stock rose exponentially. I think I said that right. Exponen, exponential, exponentially. <laughs> during the, during the, this, this tournament. We knew that he, he had potential to go to the play, go to the NBA, but he was Texas Tech's best player. By far. But again, you look at Duke. I mean, you look at Virginia and you look at Texas Tech. And they're just a team. They're both of these teams are full of good, solid players. None of them will jump. You you see guy Kyle Guy, who won the player of the Final Four, the most outstanding player of the Final Four. You see him walking down the street. You wouldn't you wouldn't really know who he was. Ty Jerome, yeah, he's tall, but you wouldn't you wouldn't know who he was. And when you look at Virginia and their last few wins, it was all at the buzzer. Elite eight against Purdue, five seconds they were down three. Final four against Auburn, they were down four with fifteen seconds. In the national championship, they were down three with twelve seconds. And whether it was a Kyle Guy made free throws, Ty Jerome made three, somebody got it done. You see, I don't like the – I'm a North Carolina fan. Everybody that listens to the pod knows that. And I hate those people that, well, since my team didn't win, I got to root for somebody in the conference. No. I'm not like that at all. I'm not like that. I don't. I'm if I if my North Carolina loses, I'm not then gonna go root for Duke. I'm not then gonna go root for NC State or Virginia Tech. No. Now I do root for whoever goes against Duke, but that's neither here nor there. But yesterday showed me that it's hard to it's hard to keep down a great team, and it's it's wild because. I knew I had a I knew even when Texas Tech made that run and I think they were up like 4 or 5 it was like 2 minutes left in the in the in the second half everything in me was like you know what yeah Virginia's going to win this Virginia just looks like the more complete team yesterday Virginia looked like they were the better team. Team. Might not have the better individual players, but better team. Kyle Guy did his thing. I think he had like 
20, 26 points, 24 points or something like that. DeAndre Hunter was struggling the first half. Came out the next half, dropped 22 on him. Ty Jerome hit clutch threes after clutch threes. You know, I... I, I, last year, Virginia was the butt of everyone's joke, including myself. You're the only one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed. And on top of that, you lost to a 16 seed that's about an hour away from you in UMBC. Okay, maybe two hours away from you. It's like you can't <laughs> I didn't think there I you even heard in my if you guys listen to the NF I mean NBA um uh, damn March Madness special I didn't really have too much faith in Virginia. Now yes, of course I picked North Carolina to win, but I didn't I didn't think Virginia I knew Virginia I thought Virginia was going to make it to the final four and then lose to us. But that's not what happened. We didn't even make it to the lead eight. Damn. <laughs> but congratulations to the Virginia Cavaliers for winning the national championship this year. And congratulations to Texas Tech, too. It's the first time in men's program history that they've been to the national championship. Of course, the women's, for people that don't know Cheryl Swoop led Texas Tech to a national championship. And shout shouts out to that program. I don't know how good they'll be next year because a lot of their a lot of their players were seniors and their best player, Jared Col- Culver, more than likely is going to the draft. And just <laughs> shouts out to Virginia, man. They did their thing. I I can hate as much as I want because they're in the ACC, but I got to give it to them. And I knew I knew the game the game changed in the second half when Texas Tech was making a big push. I think they were, like I said, they were up like four with two minutes left. And homie from Texas Tech, I don't remember his name, but he airballed. He airballed a, a, a three badly, too. Like, that jump barely even touched air. And boom, you go down. Ty Jerome hits a three. Tied again. I mean, down two. Come back. Homie from Texas Tech takes the deepest, th- the Steph Curry deep three. Hits the side of the backboard, like the the where the where the where the NBA logo at. He hit. Came down, boom. Hit another left left DeAndre Hunter, the probably only NBA except for Kyle Guy, one of the only NBA prospects on that team wide open from three he hits it Texas Tech I said oh yeah they lost 
And yes, Texas Tech did come down and get an and one. But I, I knew at that point that you didn't have momentum. They didn't have momentum. You didn't have momentum. But again, shouts out to Virginia for beating Texas Tech in the national championship, 85-77 to 77 in overtime. And they dominated in overtime. I think in overtime, Texas Tech only scored like six points. In fact, going into, I think it was, what, 68-68? Yeah. <laughs> Virginia Virginia is not Virginia was Virginia was dominant this whole year. I'm going to just keep it a bean with you. He they were dominant this whole year. From clutch shooters like Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy to great all around, good all-around players like DeAndre Hunter. The team they had one of the they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. Or in the in the country, they deserve to win, and they won. They knocked down everybody they had to knock down. And in the back of my mind, yeah, I'm a North Carolina fan, but in the back of my mind, I kind of, I kind of felt going into these playoffs, even though I didn't have too much faith in them, I kind of felt that they had enough to win it all. And and they had enough. Let me let me not say that. I knew they had enough to win it all. I just didn't know if they were gonna put it all together because Virginia has a history of choking in March. But I did know that if they put everything together, that this team is damn near unstoppable. This team, you, you remember last year. This team isn't as dominant as that Villanova team last year. That Villanova team was running through people like it was nobody's business. With Archie Archie Diacono, what dropping thirty something in the in the national championship, this Virginia team isn't that dominant. But that this team was damn close. They can they can they can beat you in so many ways, and they and they showed it this this tournament. One game. Kyle Guy couldn't freaking hit to save their life. So what did Ty Jerome and all them do? Just like go to go to the hole. This team isn't gonna beat you. This team's not gonna not gonna lose with no free throws. You're not gonna lose. They're not gonna lose because they miss free throws. They're gonna beat you because they make them. I don't know who's coming back next year. I know DeAndre Hunter more than likely ain't. Probably either Kyle Guy. Kyle Guy is probably going to be viewed as like an Archie Diacono who got drafted. So I don't know who's coming back. And I don't know. I'm almost sure this team is not going to be as good like next year. But for right now, they are national champions. And I, you can't take that away from them. First time in program history, by the way. Shouts out to Virginia, man. And on the other side, in the game to me, actually, that was better. Were the women's national championship. Baylor beat Notre Dame 81, I mean 82 to 81. Shouts out to Chloe Jackson. She was pretty much the hero of the game. She dropped 26 points 
and won the most outstanding player of the Final Four for the women's side. She's actually from Upper Marlboro, Maryland. For people that listen to the podcast that's not from the DMV, that's about uh, 15 minutes from where I stay. So, shouts out to her. But this game was like a seesaw. But like a broken seesaw. I remember tweeting, see, because Notre Dame looked shell-shocked. Notre Dame looked like they shouldn't even been on the same floor as Baylor in the first half. They were getting run out the gym. Even with Arike not, well, she was struggling the first half. The whole team was struggling the first half. Baylor, who's known, I mean, Notre Dame, who's known for getting points in the paint and fast break points. They were number one in the nation at both of those stats. Were getting destroyed by Lauren Cox and Kate Kalani Brown. And they were getting destroyed on the fast break points because all they were they kept missing or they kept turning the ball over. They were down as Notre Dame was down by as much as 17 points. And 13 points in the second half. You know, I like I said, I tweeted. Yo, Notre Dame doesn't even look like they deserve to be on the same floor as Baylor. And if you remember in my Marsh Madness special, I did say that Baylor was going to win it all. But I also thought that UConn would make it. But they didn't. And then something clicked after halftime. No, after they were down, I think they went down 13 in the second half, call time on some click. Arike, I'm, I'm gonna say Agumbo Wale. If I if I say your name wrong, I I am so sorry. But Arike Agumbo Wale, whatever her name is, went off. She started hitting from everywhere. And then, unfortunately, Lauren Cox, who was one of the Pillars to Baylor's front court went down with a sprained MCL. And at that moment, the game switched. The game turned. Notre Dame put they pedal to the metal and came, roared back. I remember it was 74-74, and they just kept going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Notre Dame takes a a two-point lead. Baylor comes back. Notre Dame takes a one-point lead because they, they, they miss a free throw. Baylor comes back and hits a shot. Chloe Jackson hit the game pretty much the game-winning layups to, back to back. She hit like a floater in the paint, and then she hit a, a go-around a go uh, layup. And Kalani Brown dropped 20 points and scored a, scored in double figures for the 32nd time this season. And speaking of free throws, 
you saw in the men and women's Final Four, not even Final Four, in the whole tournament, you saw that free throws win you games and they lose you games. Look at Duke. R.J. Barrett had an opportunity to, to tie the game up to go into overtime. He misses a free throw. They lose. Look at Purdue. Yeah, Carson Edwards turned the ball over, but people forget the play before that. Homie missed, not him, but the, the Purdue missed the free throw, which would have took them up by four instead of three. Come down, Tadron, or Kyle Guy hits a three. Yesterday, or for the women's final four. Hell, yesterday. Two players from Texas Tech missed the back end of a one-to-one. That's two points. The game went to overtime. And for the women's final four, I mean women's national championship, Arike Agunboale had a chance to tie the game to take it to overtime at 81. Or 80, yeah, it was 80, 81, 82. Well, it was 82, 80. And then she gets fouled with like three seconds left. She goes to the line. She's an 82% free throw shooter. And the first one rims out. And you can see that took the life out of Notre Dame. Hell, she even crouched down like all the wind all the wind in her sails just went out like you know that feeling when you get punched in your stomach and all the wind in your body just <gasps> that's what it looked like and then same thing with RJ Barrett did she, she <laughs> You try to miss the second one, and you freaking make it. Now, one thing Notre Dame was doing, they were killing Baylor on offensive rebounds. And that's kind of what kept the game semi-close in the beginning. Like I said, I know they were down 17, but that's kind of what kept the game close. Ish. And, of course, them hidden shots, but. You gotta hit your free throws. Now, yeah, they're 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 of course teenagers and twenty year olds, twenty one year olds, but they're still hoopers. And you who you gotta make your free throws. Every and and no, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, but free throws come back to bite you. Hell, look at look at the North Carolina game when we played Auburn. Yes, Auburn beat us by like 17, but if you look closely at that game, we missed a lot of free throws. That could have been momentum changing or, or momentum halting free throws. Hell, you can you can even go back to when we played Duke in the ACC tournament. We lost by one point and missed five free throws. You see, people don't really, a lot of people that watch the game don't think it, 
Think about it like that. But coaches do. Hell, I've talked to my my college coaches in a while, and, and that's one of the first things. If we lose, that's one of the first things he looks at is our free throw, just like how many free throws we missed compared to how much we lost by. There was We lost, all right, so when, when I played, we lost eight games. I think we were like 30 and eight. Out of those eight games, six of them, we lost by two or three or three or less points. And in those games, we missed, I believe, more than seven free throws. So let's think about that. We hit four or three free throws. We are 36 and two. I'm not taking anything away from Arike because she's probably one of the best players Notre Dame women has ever had. Notre Dame in general has ever had. I'm not taking away from anybody to miss free throws. I'm just saying you got to hit them because they are so important. Especially when you when you look at the, the end of games. Again, yesterday, Texas Tech missed two clutch free throws in under two minutes. Now, of course, it wasn't back-to-back, but they missed two clutch free throws, and they went into overtime. Imagine if they would have hit that. They would have won. The narrative would be a whole lot different for Texas Tech this morning. I don't know if Notre Dame would have beat Baylor in overtime, but I would have gave them a shot because they had all the momentum. And with Lauren Cox going out, they were just blitzing the paint because you just pretty much leave Kalani Brown who is 6'7", but still, you leave her to to fend off Notre Dame. And Notre Dame knew it. Notre Dame went right at him when, once Lauren went out. Got to hit your free throws, people. Got to hit your free throws. It gives you a better shot to win. That's just, that's just it. Hell, look at... <laughs> Last thing I'm going to say about this. Two things, actually. Look at the two teams. The three, four teams, I'm sorry, that were in the national championship. And this this really drives home my point. Virginia, Texas Tech, Baylor, and Notre Dame. All four of those teams are in the top four in the, conf- in their na- in the nation, both men's and women's are in the top four in free throw percentage. I believe Virginia is number one or two. Texas Tech, I believe, is three or four. Baylor is number one. And Notre Dame is number three. It's not a coincidence that the four teams that were in the national championship this year, all four of them are in the top four in free throw percentage. And lastly, before we move on, shouts out to Kim Mulkey. You know, we talk about players. I mean, we talk about coaches like Coach K, Roy Williams, Coach Calipari, how even Gino or or Gino, whatever his last name is, from UConn. We don't really talk too much about Kim Mulkey. This is her third national championship. I think there was like a, a a image that went out. She wins every seven years. 
I don't know. I don't I don't know where she stay where she lands along the pantheon of great coaches. But I know that her name never gets spoken about. And if you think about it, there's not too many men's teams or men's coaches. Hell, Coach Calipari don't have three national championships. So let that sink in. So shouts out to Kim Mulkey and the Baylor Bears for winning the national championship 82-81. to 81. And shouts out to Virginia and Texas Tech. Virginia for beating Texas Tech 85 to 77. And before we move on completely from college basketball, let me talk about Sabrina Anescu right quick. She's an outstanding player for Oregon. Oregon was the number two seed in their region, and they went all the way to the Final Four before losing to Baylor. And it's and this is this is why you you saw in the news that both the Notre Dame coach and the Baylor coach before the national championship was talking about how women need to get treated fairly, need to get need to get people need to understand that women aren't treated as as equals, especially in the basketball world. And you look Oregon lost, right, in the Final Four. Onescu had, since that loss, she had three days to decide. Three days to decide if she wanted to enter the draft or not. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, bro, that's three days. You need three days after, like, three days to make a decision? Bro, think about it. You train the whole year. You and your teammates are training the whole year. Then you got a whole season. You're not really thinking about the draft because you need to think about the season and think about you need to win every as as many games as you can for the seeding. Then you get then when you get to March, all you thinking is okay. My focus, my main focus is every game, every team that we play because we're trying to win a national championship. You're telling me that pretty much an entire year of focusing on one thing, which is winning the championship. You can just, all right, we didn't win, whatever. I'm going to the draft. No. Hell, the NBA draft isn't until after the, 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 the NBA finals. Which gives most of the men's time to make a decision, find agents, you know, do the whole long, hey, it's it's been real, I'm not coming back. Combines. You telling me you have three days? That's not fair, man. That's not that would have been my unpopular topic of the week, but something else came up. But that's not that's not that's not fair. We need and she was projected to go number one. She's like a walking triple double. She's like a she's a better well, she's a female version of a Kyle Anderson, just with a better jump shot. She can hoop. And you expect her after losing 
in the final four to make a decision within three days? Come on, NCAA. That's and uh, WNBA. That ain't that ain't that ain't cool, man. That ain't cool at all. Speaking of WNBA, though, because we are moving on from college. And quickly, they just had a, a rebrand. They have a new logo, and they're pretty much rebranding themselves, the WNBA, which I think it's 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 much much needed. But a rebrand, and I'm not saying it won't, but a rebrand won't work if your if the structures to the to the house are the same, if the structures of the house aren't changed, if the structures of the house aren't reinforced. Because if you're dealing with the same BS people that you're dealing with, ain't no rebrand. I mean, you can you can put different clothes on a, on a dude that stink. He's still going to stink. I, I talked to a WNBA insider on the podcast before, Jasmine Brown, and we talked about that the WNBA needs a lot of work, a lot of work. From marketing, from branding, from treating their players fairly, from funding. And hopefully this rebrand is, it looks like the rebrand is a step in the right direction. But this, this, this thing that is the WNBA needs to be more than just rebranding from the top up. And I hope that this... This rebrand is the start of, of of that change. I really do. I really do. I really do. And speaking from speaking of foundation, dang, you see how solid that transition was? <laughs> speaking of foundation, let's talk about the AAF. On paper, the AAF sounds great. The AAF is pretty much the G League to the NFL. The AFF or the AAF has a great has a great slew of players that the NFL can draft. The AFF is is another way to do what you love, which is play football and make money. And here's the problem with the AEF, though, and the and, and the problem with secondary leagues, pretty much. If you are not backed by the big boys, unfortunately, it's going to be really hard for you to succeed. Hell, look at the big three. Why is the big three so popular as it is? It's not funded by the NBA. But you know the players that are in the big three. You know Steven Jackson. You know Allen Iverson. You know all the retired players that are in the big three. Bashar McCant. Like, you know all these players. Al, Al Harrington. While they are older and, you know, they're vets, Tiago Mowgli, or yeah, Mowgli, Tiago, whatever his name is. We know who they are. They have they they have 
they have made an uh, imprint in our hearts before in the NBA. And it, you can even look at the G League, who is funded by the NBA, because the NBA knows how important the G League is for developing some players. Hell, you can you can look at DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins tore his ACL. Before he went back to Golden State, he went to the G League. He the G, the Golden State sent him down to the G League so he can get some run-in with, with some players. Now, yes, not all of them are NBA players, but some of them are damn close to being the NBA. Now you look at the AAF. Outside of Johnny Menzel, outside of Trent Richardson, who both, by the way, did not succeed. In fact, failed horribly in the NFL. They were pretty much the faces of the AAF or the coaches like Spurrier, Steve Spurrier. Everyone know he was coaching because he was pretty much the most recognizable coach. And as we speak today, unfortunately, the AAF has suspended all operations. The AAF pretty much is done. And it didn't even last an entire season. You see, the thing that the G League has going for it, like I said, is that it's funded by the NFL. I mean, the NBA. Because the NBA understands how important it is. The reason the Big Three works is because we under, we, we know who's playing in the Big Three because they've had... They've had an imprint on our hearts for, for, you know, back in the day. Everyone knows who Steven Jackson is. How even, even, even Drew League players. Like Frank Nitty. He's in the big three now. Amari Stoudemire is in the big three. Big Baby Davis in the big three. We know who they are. You look at the AAF, you don't know who plays for the AAF. You don't know who the coaches are except for Steve Spurrier. And the NFL, they they needed funding desperately. More funding from the NFL. And the NFL wasn't going to give it. Because they understand, the thing about the NFL that's different from most other sports or most other leagues is that they want to be the only fish in the pond. They they don't understand. And I guess I guess you can kind of understand, but they don't understand that how integral the AAF could be. They just think, all right, we got the college. After college, you come on, let's go. The AAF could have been something special. And now how it looks, it's done. It is finished. And it didn't even last a season. I know that the talent wasn't the NFL, but how you couldn't expect it to be. Because if that's the case, the players would be in the NFL. 
if the, the if the players, most of the players in the G League were as good as players in the NBA, they would be in the NBA. But as of right now, the AAF is done. And it just sucks because I saw potential in it. Hell, a lot of people saw potential in it. You saw a lot of interest in, in former coaches and former players. You know, it, it, was, it was intriguing. But as of today, or as of last week, the AAF has suspended all its all its operations and forcing players it's pretty so it pretty much sent out a memo said all the NFL teams you can take whatever player you want some players got drafted you know I mean like got picked up by NFL teams but like maybe three or four players got picked up other than that it pretty much left the players hanging okay you got to pay for your own own way home we're sorry we ain't got no money for you no more like it left them hanging, and it's 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 sad. It's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. But what can you do? You know, when when you don't have funding or as much funding as you need, what can you do? What can you do? And before we move out of in football in general, let's talk about Antonio Brown real quick. So Antonio Brown was talking to a fan a Steelers fan like they were going back and forth on social media and the Steelers fan the fan just tweeted a picture at Antonio Brown of Juju Smith winning the MVP for the team and then Juju I mean Antonio Brown pretty much went at Juju you know, Juju cost us the season for fumbling. Juju was asking me for advice. And then Juju just came back like, bro, I used to respect you. I said nothing bad about you, bro. Why are you, why are you coming at me like that? And then Antonio Brown came back and put a DM that Juju sent to him, you know, asking, you know, you're one of my favorite players. Can I can I have for you know? Do you have any advice, stuff like that? Why, Antonio Brown? You know, this really to me shows one thing and one thing only. First of all, this does not reflect bad poorly on Juju at all. In fact, this makes Juju look bad. This makes Juju look like an a, an adult, a, a grown man. Because Juju owned up to the fact that, yeah, he did fumble the ball. He he owned up to that like two days after it happened. And no, Juju didn't go back and forth with him. He was just like, I'm not about to go back and forth, you know, on social media. Because, you know, some people don't can't really tell who the fool is at that point. So I respect Juju in that sense. But this mean this shows me one thing and one thing only that Antonio Brown is not happy with the decision he made leaving Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is all Antonio Brown knew. Pittsburgh drafted him. Pittsburgh is the is one now yes, Antonio Brown is 
he of course is the biggest reason for his success but Pittsburgh is the only place he saw success Pittsburgh Pittsburgh is a great organization yeah his relationship with Ben Roethlisberger and big and Big Ben's relationship with a lot of players was sour but Antonio Brown misses Pittsburgh because there's no reason why. First of all, you forced your way out. You demanded a trade. You demanded it. So there's no reason why you should be looking back, going back and forth with Pittsburgh fans. You ultimately got what you wanted. You wanted a new contract. You wanted a bigger deal. And you wanted to be out of Pittsburgh. That's going. One of the three has happened already. And all three is going to happen. You're with the Raiders. That's what you wanted. And it, and right now it looks like that's clearly not what he wanted because it looks like he doesn't, he's not happy. Because why would you go back and forth with people if, if you're happy? That just doesn't make sense to me. So that this really shows me that AB is not is not thrilled by the decision he made, and and he misses Pittsburgh, and that doesn't really bode well for Oakland, especially when they start losing because they're not they're not going to be winning all like that. Their defense still is trash. Their offensive line still ain't that good. They're not going to be winning that much. Yeah, AB. Might do what he does, lead the league in receptions, lead the league in reception yards. But they're not going to be winning as much as he, he hopes. And maybe he knows that. Maybe he knows, looks at the roster, and he knows yeah, we're not going to be winning that much. And maybe he's starting to rethink, damn, did I make the right decision? Good also. Like Juju said, and this is for a lot of people, keep your emotions off of social media, especially when they're high, because you're you're destined to say something that you probably shouldn't say. So the NBA season ends this week, and you hear a lot about Playoff seedings, because they're still going on. You you have three teams. I think you, you have Charlotte. You have the Pistons. And you have the Heat fighting for the last spot in the ace in the ace, you know, in the East. And you're about to see a different side of a lot of teams. Some teams are going to see the same side. Like, look at Golden State. Golden State has been saying all year we're waiting for the playoffs. Hell, it seems like after game two, they pretty much have been waiting for the playoffs. You're about to see, just like last year, we're about to see a whole nother side. A whole nother side of Golden State. Like when they're locked in, they are unstoppable. But one thing 
that the Golden State Warriors have forced us to do is cherish little things in the playoffs. Because pretty much, now of course anything can happen, basketball, anything can happen. But it's almost a foregone, almost a foregone conclusion that Golden State will at least be in the finals. Like, more than likely win it. But the what Golden State Warriors have forced the fans to do is remember little things about the regular season. Because we know Golden State is dominant. We know that they're heads and, heads and shoulders better than any team. But there's, there's a couple things I'll remember from this season. I'll remember this is one of the closest MVP races that we've ever had between James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo. This NBA season will remind me that damn Russell Westbrook is good. You know, there was a there was a poll that came out saying, you know, all about 120 NBA players did an anonymous poll and they asked who the most overrated player was. And it was tied between Russell Westbrook and Draymond Green. And it's funny because look at those two players compared to the league and they are abrasive players they will get in your face they don't give a damn about anything you got to say they come hard every night and they 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 pray they play a brand of basketball that isn't flashy Draymond Green is a walking triple double but he ain't about to drop 50 point he'll give you 10 10 and 10 Draymond Green is one of the best defensive players and one of the the one of a grinder. Russell Westbrook is 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 completely opposite of Draymond Green. He will give you a 50-point triple-double. Yes, he's a grinder and yes, he's he he's a flashy player too. Draymond Green is a I mean, Russell Westbrook is a points as a stat stuffer. Draymond Green isn't. Draymond Green just does what the fuck, I mean, does what he has to do. So it was funny that they, well, it was understandable, but still funny that NBA players would call them two, as in Russell Westbrook and Draymond Green, the most overrated players. And back to the original point, another thing I would remember about this season is that Russell Westbrook, yet again, for the third consecutive season, averages yet another triple-double. I remember saying to myself, yeah, when, when KD left, yeah, he's about to average a triple-double just this season and win the MVP. Not in my wildest imagination did I think he would be able to do this for three straight years. Not that I think that he would record the first 
2020 game since Wilt Chamberlain. What's the Westbrook? He has his faults. Hell, every player has their faults. But one thing you cannot deny is that Russell Westbrook is a great player for what he is. Same as Draymond Green. He's a great player for what he is. Another thing I'm going to remember is remember when Paul George was in the MVP race? I'm not taking away the fact that Paul George got injured. I'm not taking away the fact that Paul George plays with Russell Westbrook, who, like I said, has some faults. And, and sometimes, especially when he came back from the injury, you know, he, he Russell Westbrook takes a lot of shots. But Paul George, this is probably the best season he's ever had. Hell, he was third in MVP fighting for second a lot of nights. And last thing I'll say before I move on is, remember when Houston was struggling? Like, remember they were like 8-14? and And many people, including myself, were saying that Houston was one of the most disappointing teams in the league? You look today, Houston has a good opportunity to not only win, what, 58, 59 games, but... They have a great opportunity for being in the second spot in the West. And that leads me to my next point. And I'm going to do it. I was thinking about doing it as a special, but I don't feel like doing all that since the season's about to end. And that's my NBA awards. I did this in the in the in the midway midway through the season, but I'm this is this is these are my awards at the end of the season. For coach of the year, I got to go to Mike Boonehoser. First of all, nobody, including myself, expected. I knew that the Bucks were going to be good, but I didn't think the Bucks would be the best, t- near, damn near, arguably the best team in the league. Good, won sixty games, have potentially the MVP in Giannis. And many people are picking the Bucks to beat Golden State in the finals. Like the Bucks are are no fluke. And it's crazy how pretty much the only difference from last year to this year is Brooke Lopez and the coach. The Bucks won 60 games. They were projected to win like 48, 47. That's coaching right there. Yeah, that's Giannis being great, but that's also coaching. And it would be dumb of me. Yeah, yeah, you can look at Denver's coach and and maybe Steve Kerr. But, nah. Mike Boonehoser. 
I'm not going to give... I'm going to give, of course, the usual awards, the most improved, the MVP, but I'm going to give some some different awards. I'm going to give the most, the least, the least... How am I going to put this? <laughs> I'm going to give the... the, the The team that disappointed me the most. Now, for me, <laughs> I could say that it was the Wizards. I'm a Wizards fan, yeah, but I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be objective. And the most disappointing team to me were the Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics were projected to win more than 60 games. The Boston Celtics were projected to go to the finals. The Boston Celtics, a, a lot of people had them beating Golden State. The Celtics had Kyrie coming back, Gordon Hayward coming back, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Morris, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, they are stacked. But as we talk, as we, as we sit here today, they're in the fifth seed? I don't know if it's they don't like playing with Kyrie. I don't know if it's players want to get their own. But they've struggled this entire year. There's no way in heaven or hell this team should be in the fifth or fourth seed. That's crazy. That is crazy. The most dominant team or the most surprising team were the Bucks. Again, I knew you had Giannis, but you, you I didn't expect them to win 60 games and to look like they could be prohibited challengers for Golden State. Yeah. The most improved player, and this one was tough. It was To me, it was between Pascal Siakam for Toronto and D'Angelo Russell, but I had to give it to Pascal. And one thing that I will remember is that Pascal Siakam last year could barely dribble the damn ball. He was barely getting playing time last year. This year, this man is dropping 40-point games. 40-point games. He's bringing the ball. Like, I'm not taking anything away from D'Angelo Russell. But. Pascal Siakam has made a leap that I did not expect. You can see D'Angelo Russell having a a solid year on a new team after the stuff that happened with the Lakers and, you know, his first year in Brooklyn dealing with injuries. You can kind of see that he, he could right the ship. I didn't see Pascal Siakam coming at all. And that's why, to me, he gets the most improved player of the year. Defensive player of the year, I got to give it to Paul George. 
Paul George, see, the Thunder have been struggling, especially going down the stretch. But one thing that has been solid is their defense. And Paul George is the leader of that. Paul George is one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. Top five, at least. Could be number one right now. And if you think about it, you know, Rudy Gobert hasn't really been spectacular. Kawhi Leonard hasn't been spectacular. Draymond Green hasn't been spectacular. Not saying they haven't been good, but they haven't been spectacular this year. Paul George has been spectacular on the defensive side of the ball. To me, he's a clear-cut winner for defensive play of the year. Sixth man of the year? Ah, man, I wanted to give it to D. Rose, man. But, but Lou Williams is has lapped him. Lou Williams became the all-time leading score for all-time leading bench score of all time. Yeah, no, you <laughs> it gotta be Lou Will. Gotta be Lou Will. I have to say again that the Wizards should have been one of the least <laughs> one of the most disappointing teams. <laughs> this year. Freaking bums. Oh god. There was so much that went wrong with the Wizards, man. We'll talk about I'm going to talk about it soon. And lastly, the award of awards, the MVP. It's really, it's down to two people. James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo. One thing that I can say for each player, Giannis, Giannis is, to me, one of the, top three at least right now top three players in the league top two I don't think he's the best to me the best player in the NBA right now is Kevin Durant but Giannis might be second might be second if not second he he's he's top five Giannis is 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 the best player on the best team uh you know record wise Giannis is like 80% from the field inside the paint and has like the most dunks ever recorded in a season. Giannis has been great this his whole year. Giannis is a statistical freak. And honestly, he could be in the running for defensive player of the year as well. He 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 he'd probably be second or third for me. I mean, you look at James Harden. James Harden was on that 8-14 and 14 team. And while Giannis is the most important person for the Bucks, James Harden is, is the most important thing that the Rockets have. Clint, Chris Paul went out, missed a lot of time. Clint Capella went out, missed a lot of time. Aaron Gordon missed time. And the only thing that James Harden did was go 30-plus games of 30 or more points, which hasn't been done since Wilt Chamberlain. He has multiple 50-point games. He has has multiple 60-point games this year. James Harden is one of the greatest offensive weapons of all time. 
And because of what he had to do for his team with Chris Paul being out and Clint Capella being out and what he's still doing to now, like now, and how important and integral he is to the Rockets' success, James Harden is my MVP. I'm not taking, and, th- and this is why I said the M- this has been the closest MVP race ever, if you ask me. Because I don't know. It's, I'm not mad if Giannis wins. I'm not mad if James Harden's win. And I'm not saying, ah, he was robbed. No. Both of these players are deserving. But I have to go with James Harden. Not only did he go 30-plus games averaging, I mean, with more than 30 points, the man is averaging like 35 points a game. That's seven more than the next player, which is Paul George, I think, at 28. And he doesn't look like, and he's not slowing down. It, again, this is, this is one of the hardest, one of the hardest races that I remember in a while. But James Harden is my MVP. And speaking of basketball, let's get to the unpopular topic of the week. Welcome to the unpopular opinions. Unpopular opinions. Have unpopular opinions. Unpopular opinions. Okay, so what's an unpopular opinion? Unpopular opinions. To utter such blasphemy. He's got the nerve, the audacity, the unmitigated goal to echo such blasphemous nonsense. Just blasphemy. So Kyle Korver came out with a piece on the Players' Tribune called Privileged. And he talked about when he was teammates with Tabo Cephalosha. And when Tabo Cephalosha got attacked or was in the club and was pretty much attacked by the police, he was injured, which caused him the rest of the season. He did a civil he did a he he sued pretty much did a civil case against him and they won. And Kyle Corver was was talking about how the first thing he didn't think was, damn, the police attacked the police attacked my friend or my teammate. He was thinking, what was Tavo doing at the club? And, and and the article was pretty much saying how he he has a lot of privileges, which is the title of, or privilege, you know, privileges for being white in the NBA. You see what happened with uh was it Sterling Brown in Milwaukee with the cops? Kyle Corver knows that wouldn't have happened to him because he's white. The same thing that happened to Tavo Cephalosha wouldn't have happened to Kyle Korver because he's white. Now, on the contrary, Kyle Korver doesn't look like a lot of the players in the NBA because he's white. He looks like the fans. 
because the the NBA is like 98% African American. You know, I did a pod, I think the last podcast I did, All Black Everything. I was joined by the men of the Thousand Jumpers podcast. And we talked about being African American, being an African American athlete. And how tough it is to even, even, even though we are, some people are, athletically more dominant, physically more dominant, sometimes more cerebral in how we think, it's still harder for us to get in the door. And we're still viewed in a negative light. So my unpopular topic of the week is I want to applaud Kyle Corver. You see, change, yes, all the African Americans in the world can rally together and change something or try to change something. But unfortunately, I don't think that it'll it'll take it takes more. Hell, you look at Colin Kaepernick's situation. Colin Kaepernick is not in the league anymore, all because he took a knee, not because he was going against the flag. He took a knee to highlight the injustices that African-Americans deal with on a regular basis by cops, and just by people who are racist. It wasn't against the flag. It wasn't against America. And now Colin Kaepernick is pretty much blackballed out the league. Do you think he would have been blackballed out the league if Aaron Rodgers took a knee? If Tom Brady took a knee? If J.J. Watt took a knee? Do you think that him and Eric Berry would be black stains of the league if Adam Thielen took a knee? If Alex Smith took a knee? I commend Kyle Corbin because even in the piece, he, 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 he says it. It takes more than white people to just stand by and say nothing. He understands, and it's sad, but he understands the privileges that were allotted to him before he, I mean, before he was even born because he's white. And the disadvantages that are put on African-Americans because we're black before we're even born. Before African-Americans are born, we are off rip two steps behind Caucasians at birth. 
And Kyle Korver understands, or in the piece he understands that it's going to take a lot more white people standing up against injustices than black people. No, Kyle Korver ain't about to be no Malcolm X or anything like that. But I respect Kyle Korver for that privilege piece. It was a great piece. I read it top to bottom. It was eye-opening. And it was eye-opening to the fact that I knew most of this shit that was going on. But maybe, just maybe, this piece can open some white people's eyes. And, and, and you know the sad thing about it? Is I think no white people know. White people know. They know that they, 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 if, if I'm walking down the street and, and the Caucasians walking down the street and one of us gets stopped, nine times out of ten, I'm the one that's getting stopped. And Kyle Corver is pretty much saying, wake up white people because you can be as great as LeBron James you can be as great as Kevin Durant you can be as great as Antonio Brown you can be as great as Odell Beckham Jr. and you will still be two steps behind a Caucasian in society And for lack of a better term, that's fucked up. All right, man. Let's get to the game of the week. Game blouses. Bitch, your game. I call game. Expect the game. It's game time. It ain't no games. games it's the game of the week. Play the game. On Wednesday. April 10th, a legend will be retiring. The Miami Heat will be playing the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I don't know. They, they have a great opportunity, as in the Miami Heat, to make the playoffs. They're going to have to pretty much win all their games, and Pistons probably going to have to lose both games, and Charlotte's going to have to lose both their games. So it's a long shot for Miami to make it, especially after their loss the other night. But if they don't make the playoffs, Dwayne Wade will be retiring from the game of basketball. D Wade has gone will go down in my eyes as the third greatest shooting guard to ever play the game of basketball the legacy that D Wade has left on the NBA the, the legacy that he left on Miami the legacy that he left on other players is unprecedented you look at a lot of players today and they say you know 
they looked up to D-Wade. LeBron James credits, he wouldn't be a champion if it wasn't for D-Wade. Yeah, so did Chris Bosh. But LeBron James said he wouldn't be a champion if it wasn't for D-Wade. D-Wade came into the league in 2003 with LeBron James, with Carmelo Anthony, with Chris Bosh. And he will go down as one as the second best piece in that draft. Of course, you have LeBron number one, but nobody thought D Wade was going to be better than Chris Bosh. Nobody thought D Wade was going to be better than Carmelo Anthony, who was just coming off of a national championship. Hell, you you ask a you ask somebody that's a Miami fan. It's called Wade County for a reason. Miami is D Wade. D Wade is Miami. We can talk about the stint for Chicago and the and the stint with Cleveland that lasted all of what two seasons combined. But D Wade is Miami. And the game of the week is Miami Heat versus the Brooklyn Nets, which is tomorrow, Wednesday, April 2nd. It could I could have done the game tonight, which is Miami Heat against the Philadelphia 76ers because that's D-Way's last home game, at least in the regular season. But my game of the week is the Heat versus the Nets Wednesday, April 10th because that could very likely be the last time we see Dwayne Wade lace him up. D. Wade is a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. His name will be retired in the rafters. And all in all, like I said, D. Wade will go down as the third greatest small shooting guard of all time. I'm an Allen Iverson fan. Allen Iverson is my favorite player of all time. Allen Iverson is not even close to as good as D-Wade was. D-Wade's prime was arguably, arguably the best player in the league. And his prime was in the same was was same as LeBron's prime. There was a there was a there was like a two, three years when we were debating is D-Wade and Le- like who is who is better between D-Way and LeBron? That shows you how good he was. I don't know, and I don't I don't think, honestly, that the Heat will make the playoffs. So if they don't, I want to say thank you, D-Wade, for being the greatest Miami Heat to ever play. For being one of the greatest shooting guards to ever lace it up. And there you have it, people, man. That is you got it, that's episode what 42 of the Unpopular Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, uh, I will be back to Mondays next week. 
yo man and them visuals for youtube is coming soon man coming soon i am i am i'm cooking back here man i really am i want to thank you guys for rocking with me thank you for all the listens all the views thank you for the people that that hit me up saying hey man great podcast i, I want to appreciate it man i, I am internally grateful I'm, i am humble and, and and thank you again this is the unpopular podcast and until next time much love it's like two o'clock in the studio studio Backed up on the lakes, man. My shit crashed, but I'm back at you niggas, though. You know, I guess this 55,000. So we gonna do it like this. Uh, hustle, nigga. One take two. Look. Uh, Mac 11 on my dresser drawer. Model bitches like Nipsey, what's the weapon for? Niggas try and take, I give them nothing less than war. So it's understood, there is no explanation for it. Put the box in concrete, then put the safe in floor. Extra thick carpet, that's what we laid it for. Young niggas getting money's what I make it for. Play this out your range, Rover and Mercedes door. Uh, I graduated from having haters. Now I see it all as fake love, so don't congratulate us. And thank God for my imagination. I seen a vision, I'm in it, and now I'm after greatness. I know that God got me, so I practice patience. Most of the time I look inside and find the answers waiting. Trying to change my life, but it's aggravating Making the same mistakes twice, I'm shagging to Satan So, let's make a toast to the real niggas Self-made success, know how it feel, nigga uh, Now raise your glass to the real women You know the one who managed jail, but she still with them Out here on her own, but she deal with it So I'm gonna tip my ass down, cause I'm feeling ya I represent that any means necessary. Chopper in the window pane, lifestyle legendary. Been treated a lot of ways, it was never fair. So we gon' shoot before we march like February. And they don't like it when I rap like that. They'd rather I talk about the crime that's always black on black and say, neighborhood of 60 crippin' every rap. So they could play my tape in court and try to lock me up for that, but I'm cool. Tell them judges, look, I'm never going back. It's a marathon, nigga, run a lap. Uh. 56,000 Oh, money in, in, oh, money in, in, oh, money in, in No motherfucking money out, nigga All right, that's it, like, really.